I encourage you to turn with me this morning to the book of Daniel. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's one provided for you there in the pew. I would encourage you to take that out. And again, let's turn together to the book of Daniel, chapter 6. Uh, for those of you who are guests with us this morning, we're journeying through this book, um, and we, we go verse by verse through books of the Bible. And so Daniel chapter 6 is where we're at this morning, and um, I will repeat just very briefly the same thing I've repeated each week, and I hope that you can say it with me this morning, that the Daniel, book of Daniel is not specifically about the heroism of Daniel, but it's about the what? The sovereignty of God. There we go. We're all on the same page. And so again, here in chapter 6, uh, we see just an incredible an incredible unveiling uh, of God's power and sovereignty in the lives of His of His children, and what an encouragement it is to us. Again, it's like we're not reading this book with the perspective of, oh, you know, if we get thrown into the lion's den, because uh, I doubt very seriously that any of us are going to be thrown into a pack of of lions, but. We do come to the place where we understand that there are difficulties, often great, insurmountable difficulties that some of us may be called to face in our Christian walk and experience. And in those moments, how do we face those times? Uh, How do we trust and know that God will do what He said He's going to do? And so the book of Daniel here has given us that, but especially chapter 6. And so I would encourage you this morning, we're going to read verses 1 through 15 as we stand together this morning, but we will uh, cover the entirety of the chapter in our time together. So if you found your way there... Let's stand again, Daniel chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 15. This is the word of the Lord. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them, three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them, that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and the satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to governmental affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, that it may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is, the injunction. Now, when Daniel knew the document was signed, he entered in his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had his windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for thirty days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, The statement is true, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you have signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. 
Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. You can be seated this morning. I think most of us are familiar with the story that this chapter encapsulates, Daniel in the lion's den. It's one of those stories that is most often probably told in children's Sunday school classes. Uh, You have that picture there of Daniel standing uh, in the midst of the lions as they sit there snoozing around him or perhaps just walking up to him and he is treating them like uh, a domesticated house cat. Uh, But it doesn't, we want to be sure this morning that we understand the supreme power and sovereignty and, uh, and just miraculous working power of God that is revealed in this passage. As we come there to the end of verse 15, we find and understand that, that Daniel is in a very particular place. He's, he's in, in a great amount of difficulty. And so we need to kind of back up just a little bit to understand exactly what's going on, because what we see happening here in this chapter is the same thing that continues to happen in the world around us. We find a battle between the kingdom of evil and the kingdom of God, uh, between the evil forces of the world and the godly on the Lord's side. And so this this battle that is continually taking place, and the Scripture tells us that even now we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power, uh, spiritual wickedness and darkness, and that's what we have happening around us in our world today. So we should not be surprised when we see those kind of things unfold, because here it is in the book of Daniel unfolding in much the same way. I want you to notice first here, as we picture this sovereignty of God in this chapter, of Daniel's position being established. It's amazing to me that Daniel, throughout the course of his time in Babylon, finds himself really in so many different situations where God has so specifically put him in these powerful places. Uh, we would find and maybe consider it a grand, um, a grand uh, explanation of someone's life if they were put into a great position of power just once in their life. But it happens to Daniel over and over again. And why? Because God was using Daniel in this place, uh, in this wicked city far outside of Jerusalem. God was using Daniel as his instrument to accomplish the work that needed to happen there in Babylon. We know that ultimately God's people would be released and they would go back to reestablish the city and to rebuild the walls and to rebuild the temple. And all of that happened because God had allowed Daniel to be in these places, to serve in these roles in order to establish and make sure that God's people would be kept and they would be kept whole there in Babylon in order that they might return. If you go back and remember all the way back there in chapter one, that the reason that Daniel and these other Jewish believers were in Babylon was because of the judgment of God. And I wanted to remind us of that fact because I think it's good for us to come back and remember that even amidst God's judgment, God is still moving and working powerfully in the life of Daniel. God's judgment must come sometimes. God does send His judgment on a people, on individuals, on a nation, but that does not mean that in the midst of judgment that God forsakes His people. He never forsakes His people. And that's important for us to remember. So Daniel here is being established. So let's start out there in verse 1. We find now the first mention of this king, Darius. Now there's a lot of, of, of discussion about who Darius is. Uh, we don't really know specifically who he is. So I'm going to give us a, a couple of the, of the interpretations of who this man was. But again, it doesn't change the fact of what Daniel is writing about, uh, specifically because we don't have a, a crystal clear interpretation of who Darius was. Uh, some believe that it might have been another name for Cyrus, 
um, who was uh, the king of the Persians. Uh, but that is kind of taken away because later on in the book, in the same sentence, Daniel refers to both Darius and Cyrus in the same sentence. Uh, some believe that it was um, uh, the son of, of Azarus, uh, who had been assigned by Cyrus to, uh, to rule here. Uh, his name was Gubaru, and so this was a name that he used as he served as king here in Babylon. It was often very common for kings to use different names uh, as they served and ruled and reigned. You think about even Daniel himself had a Babylonian name, Belshazzar, uh, which he used in Babylon. So regardless of, of who the actual individual is, we find that he had been appointed here to serve in Babylon. And in fact, we find that in chapter 9, it says that Darius was made ruler over Babylon, which leads us to more fall in the line that he was established there, not as the official king, the, the most high-reigning king, but that Cyrus, as the king of Babylon, had established Darius here um, in this providence to rule and reign on his behalf as he was out and ruling and doing things in different places. But the first thing that Darius does, he's been assigned to watch over Babylon now that they have taken over the kingdom um, from Belshazzar. His first role is to make sure that everything is operating according to plan. And so the first thing that he does is he establishes 120 satraps. Um, these are like individual leaders that would be over different divisions and areas of the city. And over those satraps, he put three commissioners. Now, the commissioners were there. It says there in verse 2, in order that these satraps might be accountable to them, that the king might not suffer loss. And we find here the first indication that politics have not changed since Daniel's day. There were corrupt politicians in Daniel's day, just as there are corrupt politicians today. This is very clear. This is what he's saying. The satraps were known to try to steal money from the kingdom. So the king placed these commissioners or these uh, governors over top of them in order that they could hold them accountable and make sure they weren't stealing from, from the king's money. Daniel was established as one of these commissioners. Now, you may ask, how do we see the sovereignty of God in this? Remember, who is Daniel? Daniel is an exile. He's not a Babylonian. He is one of the Jews who had been captured and brought here to Babylon. But yet, because of his faithfulness, and because, most importantly, because of God's divine providence in his life, here now he's put into one of these top three positions in this new nation uh, that has been taken over by the Medes and the Persians. So he's placed in this position of authority and established there. Why? Because God is moving in the midst of Daniel's life again. And again, not because of anything special about Daniel, more so than any other person who faithfully serves God, but because God is using Daniel and his life to establish his will and purpose here in Babylon. So these commissioners were charged with this administration, and Daniel was served here. No doubt, um, he had, Darius had heard of Daniel's service under Nebuchadnezzar uh, for some 40 years uh, when Nebuchadnezzar was ruling and reigning. And now we need to understand that Daniel at this point in his life is an old man. He's 80 years old. Uh, we're not talking about a young man being placed in this position. Daniel is some 80 years old, but here God is still using him. He's still faithfully serving God. And God is going to do something through Daniel that will stand for millennia as an example of faithfulness and courage in the light of, of opposition from the enemy. And this is one of those stories, as I said earlier, that almost every person knows, even if they're not a Christian. It's one of those stories that has been related so often, and it's a testimony of, of God's work in Daniel's life and Daniel's faithfulness in the midst of this. 
I shared just a second ago that what we find here in this passage is this continual battle against the forces of good, against the forces of evil. Now, we find this in the beginning of chapter, in verses 3 and following. The Scripture tells us here that Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners. What that meant was is that he began to rise to the top. As these three commissioners were doing their work here in the kingdom, it was obvious to Darius that there was something different about Daniel. He was doing his job differently. He was doing his job better than anyone else. And the Scripture tells us why. Look there at verse 3. It says, because he possessed an extraordinary spirit, and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Now, what is this extraordinary spirit that Daniel has? Was this just the deciding factor that he got up every morning and he talked to himself in the mirror and said, Daniel, you're a great guy. You're going to be a powerful leader today. Everyone's going to respect you. Now, that's what the world tells us, right? The world tells us that we should build ourselves up, talk to ourselves. No, the extraordinary spirit that was in Daniel is the same extraordinary spirit that's in every one of us. It's the spirit of God. It's God's Holy Spirit moving and operating in Daniel's life. But it's easily recognized by people, even sometimes lost people, recognize the Spirit of God in the work of God's people. It's easily recognizable because they are trustworthy, because they are honest, because they have integrity. And this was so different. Remember, we already talked about the fact that the king couldn't trust the satraps, so he had to put three commissioners over them. So the king knew that not all people were trustworthy, but there was something about Daniel. The spirit of Daniel's life was different, so much so that it says the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Now, brothers and sisters, think about this. The king has appointed 120 Babylonians as satraps. He's appointed two other commissioners besides Daniel who were Babylonians. But yet it's Daniel, the man who's not a Babylonian, the man who is Jewish exile, the man who does not serve the God of the Babylonians, but yet whose integrity and testimony was so great and so powerful that the king says, I know I can trust this man and I'm going to put him in a position of authority over the entire kingdom. It's such a beautiful picture of God's sovereignty. Because this was not something that Daniel could have established on his own. It was not something that Daniel could have caused or forced to happen. It was something that God in his power was bringing to accomplish and bringing to pass each and every day. But as we talk about this battle between the forces of good and evil, look at verse 4. It says, Then the commissioners and the satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. It doesn't take very long when God's Spirit begins to move. It doesn't take very long when Christians are doing what God calls them to do for the enemy to begin to try to throw a monkey wrench into the situation. And so immediately it says the, these commissioners were recognizing what was going on. Now, what is driving their fact? Most likely it's jealousy, right? Because Daniel has been appointed to the second in the kingdom. He's over everything underneath Darius. And they also recognize that this guy is not really a true Babylonian. He's just a Jewish exile. And they, in fact, they point this out later on as they make their accusation before the king. So they began to look. They began to look for corruption in Daniel's life. Now, why would you think that they could find, or why do you think that they would think that they could find corruption in, in Daniel's life in regards to governmental affairs? Well, it's because they were doing it. They knew they were corrupt. And they knew every man in their mind has a secret. Right? If we're doing it, everyone else has to be doing it. So they began to watch Daniel and the way that he was ruling the kingdom and the way that he was running things under Darius. But I love what verse 4 tells us. It says, But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption, inasmuch 
as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. However they looked, wherever they looked, not even a small matter was found. There was not even just a hint of anything in Daniel's life that they could even make an accusation about. The only way that they knew that they could find an accusation to him, it tells us in verse 5. He says, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Think about this. What, what an incredible thing to be said of us as a Christian. That the only way that they could find an accusation against us would be according to the law of our God. Because they knew that Daniel was faithful to serve his God. They thought they could find him lying a little bit on the paperwork that he filled out you know, doing a little bit of bribery behind the scenes in order to get done what he needed to get done. But they evaluated Daniel's life and there was absolutely no evidence of corruption in any shape, form or fashion. They said, well, the only thing that we can do is try to find an accusation in the way that he worships and in his faithfulness to his God. So they came to an agreement among them. They're going to do and find any way they can to bring an accusation against Daniel. Now notice verse 6, because verse 6 tells us exactly what wicked people will do when it comes to godly people. Wicked people are willing to lie if it means that they can accomplish the end that they desire. We see this happen in in many different ways. Uh, That's why the Scripture tells us to be careful uh, when accusations are made against people. Right, Because oftentimes people can bring an accusation just because of their anger or because of their hostility. And so here we find these commissioners and satraps bringing an accusation to the king. Look at verse 6. It says, They came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows, King Darius, live forever. So I want you to understand this is not just one or two individuals. Uh, This is a a large contingency of them. Now, scholars disagree whether it's the entire 122. Uh, It seems that the way that Daniel writes it, it was the entirety of the group. But all of them are coming together with this one desire. They want to see Daniel taken out of power. They want to see something happen to Daniel. Now, again, why is this? Because it it goes deeper than than just the jealousy of power. What happens here is is there is a spiritual movement afoot. Because if Daniel is in a place of position and power and authority, who gets the credit for that? Well, if they were in a position of power and authority, they would take all the credit for that. But if Daniel's in this place of position and authority, he's going to give all the glory to God. And, and, and Satan does not want all the glory going to God. And so he uses people to operate in such a way as to order to steal away God's glory. So there's a spiritual battle happening here. These commissioners and satraps are operating in the spiritual realm of they're trying to destroy Daniel, not specifically because they're so much jealous of him, because there's a spiritual movement that they want to steal the glory and honor away from God and that God's power would not be revealed here in Babylon. They come to the king. Verse 6 tells us that they do what most people do when they're trying to get what they want. They begin to butter up the king, right? King Darius, live forever. Oh, glory. What what a wonderful king you are. And in verse 7 is where the lie comes in. It says, all the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together. Now, you may ask, well, how do you know that's a lie? Well, look at what it says there. It says all of the commissioners. Well, now, who were the commissioners? There were three of them, right? There was two Babylonians and then Daniel. 
Now, I very seriously doubt that Daniel was a part of this conversation where they consulted in how to destroy him. But here they wanted to make it seem like all of them are in perfect agreement, and they're willing to lie even to this king who they proclaim that they're so faithful to because they want to see Daniel destroyed. So they come and they present this objective to the king in such a way that makes it seem like they're wanting to just establish the king's power, authority, and glory here in Babylon. They're like, oh, king, we think this would be such a wonderful idea for you that for 30 days you should make a statute and enforce it that anyone who makes a petition or prays or worships to any god or any man besides you shall be thrown into the lion's den. Well, what they were doing here is, is trying to make it seem like their plan was all about the king's honor and glory. Because they knew if they could make it about him, that human temptation would take over. Well, even as Christians, sometimes we struggle in the area of pride and vainglory. People talk good about us, build us up, say complimentary things towards us. It's very easy for us to get puffed up, even more so for Darius, even more so for a king who does not know the true God. And so as they come before him and they begin to butter him up and talk all about all these great things, the king, you can imagine, is sitting on the throne and he's thinking about this. Oh, well, so listen, if, if, all of my, if all of my authoritative figures agree on this, if all my satraps and all my commissioners think that we should establish this, that for 30 days no one should worship or praise anyone in the kingdom but me, man, this sounds like a wonderful idea. Now, verse 8 is an important point of context here. Because they tell the king, establish this injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Oftentimes when we think of a king, we think of a king having absolute power and authority to do whatever they want. But in the empire of the Medes and the Persians, they had a law that said that even if a king signed a document, that once it was signed and once it was placed into authority, that it could not be revoked. It could not be undone. Even the king himself could not undo it. Now, Daniel's enemies here knew this. This is why they encouraged the king to establish it in such a way. It was not that just the king would get up and say this. They encouraged him to establish this and sign it so that it may not be changed because they knew if they could get the king to do this, they would have Daniel exactly where they wanted him. And verse 9 tells us that King Darius signed the document that is the injunction. The king was flattered by the suggestion. He, he immediately signed it. He had really gave, gave no thought to it because he was encouraged by what he thought was just the love and the admiration of his people. Now, I want you to notice in verse 10, we see Daniel's faithfulness exhibited. There's a lot here in a couple of verses that I want us to talk about because it really gives us this perspective of how we respond in the midst of difficulty how we respond in the midst of accusation, how we respond in the midst of something being done that's going to cause us to stand at odds or at variance with the world. Look at verse 10. It says, Now when Daniel knew the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. As soon as the king signed the injunction, it became known to the people. It would have been proclaimed uh, in, in all the parts of the city. And now Daniel hears this. Now, what is Daniel to do in this moment? 
What is Daniel to do in this moment? Because he understands what it means. He understands that it means that he cannot pray to God according to the injunction, that he can only pray to Darius, and that if he prays to God or worships God in the way that he's committed to, that it means that he's going to be thrown into the lion's den. Now, here's what many people would probably say to Daniel. The Scripture doesn't relay this to us, but we know it by personal experience, that there were probably those in Daniel's life who, had he consulted with them, they would have told him, well, Daniel, listen, it's not that big of a deal. It's just 30 days, right? You can go 30 days without praying. It's not, it's not that big of a deal. Just, just don't, don't push the issue. You know, the, the king is there. He, he's the ruler. God has put him there. So just, just do what he says just for 30 days, and then you can go right back to praying like you used to. This isn't that what the world tells us oftentimes today. I said, oh, well, you can be a Christian, but just keep it there in the church. Right? You, you can believe what you want to about God, but that don't bring it out here in the world. Just keep it there in the church. We don't want to hear what you have to say about your God. You can do whatever you want. We just don't want to have to hear anything else about it. But Daniel knew that he couldn't do that. Daniel's faithfulness in God was such that he had seen God move and operate in such extreme power throughout his life. He knew that there was no way that he could go even a day without worshiping and praying to his God. So what did Daniel do? When as soon as he heard the document was signed, I love what verse 10 tells us. He hears the document was signed, and what does he do? He goes home, goes upstairs, and begins to pray. The Scripture tells us here that he entered his house. He went upstairs in the roof chamber. You know, all the, the houses in this time were usually uh, multi-story tall, um, open windows and things like that. And so he's here on the upper level of his house. He has the windows open towards Jerusalem. And it tells us that he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. So there's three things we see here about Daniel that he did not change his pattern. He did not change his pattern. The scripture tells us that for three times a day, he had been committed to praying to God. And so Daniel did not change. He still continued to pray to God three times a day. Perhaps it would have been easy in Daniel's mind to say, okay, well, maybe I'll just go down to once a day. And if I do it really early in the morning, maybe no one will see me. No, Daniel opens up the windows, throws the windows open, gets down on his knees and continues to pray three times a day. He does not change his pattern of behavior. And Daniel does not forget his faith here because he's trusted God in the midst of things before. He's trusted God's power and he knows that he can trust God again. And Daniel did not fear the results. Daniel knew what was going to happen to him if he was caught. And he knew, I, I'm sure that he knew from the very beginning that he was going to get caught. He, he knew that those were those who opposed him. But Daniel was not fearful of that fact in the sense that he trusted God. And this does not mean that Daniel did not have some fear or, or anxiety in his heart because it tells us in verse 11 that as these men come to seek out Daniel, to try to catch him in his prayers, it tells us that they found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. Daniel is praying here, no doubt, to God for faithfulness because he knows the battle that he's going to have to face. He's praying for strength that he would not give in or give up, and he's praying for courage. Daniel knows if he's caught, he's going to the lion's den. Now, Daniel can trust and hope that God would deliver him from the lion's den, but he doesn't know that for certain. He doesn't know that God will bring him out on the other side, but he's praying that God would give him the courage and strength to go there and to find out what God would choose to do. 
Daniel here is doing what Peter and the apostles did there in Acts chapter 5 when they said, we must obey God rather than men. Brothers and sisters, we may be called to similar circumstances. And in fact, in, in some nations around the world already, and, and in fact, in some very far developed nations around the world, such as England, Canada, and some different places like that, pastors and churches are being told that you can no longer preach on these certain culturally sensitive topics. You can no longer say that these things are sins. You can no longer say that these religions are false. You cannot say this in the public square. You cannot say this in your public church services. So you cannot do this or you will face the consequences. So what is happening here for Daniel is already happening in the world around us. We should not be surprised by this. And what Daniel had done to prepare him for this moment was he had established a precedent in his life of his faithfulness to God. We talked about this a little earlier on in this book, is that we cannot wait until the heat is on to decide how we will respond. We have to prepare ourselves before the moment gets here of how we will respond when difficult things happen. We have to prepare in our minds now that when, when the heat is applied to us, that we're going to stay faithful to God that we're going to trust in him, that we're going to rely upon him, that we're going to cling to him in those moments. And this is what Daniel's doing here. He does not know what's going to happen. He does not know what God's plan is. So he begins making petition and supplication, pouring his heart out before God in order that he might remain faithful in what God has called him to do. Notice it doesn't take long. Verse 11, go back there. It says, these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. You can almost imagine them just huddled there outside Daniel's house where they can watch him through the windows. They're just waiting. They're just waiting for that moment of the day when they knew that Daniel would get down on his knees and begin to pray. And as soon as he did, immediately they run back to the king. Immediately they run back to the king and they begin to go before him. And again, notice here, they try to make it about the honor and the glory of the king because they don't want to get caught in what they're doing. They know, and it's going to be revealed in just a couple of verses, they know how much the king loves Daniel. And they don't want it to be revealed that they're doing this solely just to get Daniel killed. So they try to make it again about the king's glory. They said, oh, king, did you not establish an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you is to be cast into the lion's den? And the king, not knowing what's going on here in this moment, he says, yes, the statement is true, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. It says, then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you have signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. Notice there, they, they try to make it seem like Daniel is posing some risk to the king's authority and to power. Right? He, he pays no attention to you, O king, or to your injunction. He, he's, a, he's a rabble-rouser. He's a rebel. He, he doesn't want to listen to what you have to say. Now, verse 14 shows us that the position that Daniel had been placed in already had cemented himself into a soft place with the king. Because it says, as soon as the king heard the statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. The king knew there was nothing that could be done, but it didn't stop him from pondering over it as much as he could. He tried to think of any way that he could get around the law which could not be undone. Now, these men recognized this. 
And so they come back and remind the king, remember the king, recognize that it's a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or statute that the king establishes may be changed. The king was brokenhearted. The king was spirit, well, was physically distraught over what was getting ready to happen. But with no other recourse, with no other way to get around this, verse 16 tells us that the king gave orders and Daniel was brought and cast into the lion's den. Now, I want you to notice in verse 16, the king's words here that he spoke to Daniel, because they really are a great testimony to Daniel's life. It says, the king spoke and said to him, Daniel, your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. What we can see here in this phrase is that Daniel lived out his faith on a daily basis, right? Because what does the king say? Who you constantly serve. The one thing that the king could say about Daniel was that he was a man who was faithful to his God. He was a man who lived his life in obedience to his God. Now, Darius did not recognize Daniel's God as a true or authoritative God, but he recognized that Daniel believed it, and he recognized that he believed it so much that he committed his life faithfully to serve him. But we can also see that Daniel's life and living out his faith, that it affected others. Because even though Darius does not profess to believe in this God, he understands and does believe that this God has some type of power because he's seen it in Daniel's life. He understands that Daniel could not be the man that he is unless his God was truly a God who had some kind of power behind him. And so he, he says this. He speaks boldly and confidently. May your God deliver you. He says, your God will himself deliver you. What a beautiful promise this is. What a beautiful trust that, that Daniel's life had exhibited to this king. The king wanted Daniel's life to be spared. He desired for Daniel's life to be spared. Verse 17 tells us that the stone was, came, uh, was laid over the mouth of the, of, the, of the den, and the king signed it with his own signet ring. And this was done in order that no one else could come and, and interpose the sentence. They couldn't open it back up and get Daniel out. Daniel now is locked in this pit with the lions. Now, this pit was there for one particular reason. It was there to, to, to offer a death sentence to people. It was not, it was not the, the, the zoo. They weren't going there to watch these lions and to marvel at, at, at how beautiful creatures they were. No, these, these lions were specifically there in order that people might be put to death. No doubt it was the same way as the lions were done in the Colosseum under the Romans. These lions were probably not fed for several days before a person was thrown in there in order that they might be all the more hungry and they're ready to devour anything that was placed before them. Daniel's thrown down into this pit with these hungry lions. This is a crisis of faith moment. This is a difficult and traumatic situation. And brothers and sisters, sometimes... We may be called to suffer for the sake of Christ. We may be called to face difficult situations. But we have these beautiful promises to us in the Scripture. Second Timothy, Paul writes, says, If we endure, we will also reign with him. He says later in chapter 3, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Peter reminds us, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you, but to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice 
with exaltation. So we may be called to suffer. We may be called to endure persecution. We may be called to endure temptation and trial and tribulation. And in this moment, we understand and we will learn what it means to do so with great faith. The king is distressed even more. After Daniel's placed in there, it tells us he goes back in verse 18 and spends the night fasting. He doesn't eat. He doesn't have any entertainment brought before him. And the scripture tells us that his sleep fled from him. He was restless all night long. He couldn't eat. He couldn't sleep. He didn't even want to watch anything and be entertained. He didn't want anything to try to cheer him up because he was so grieved about what was happening. But now I want you to see here in verse 19, God's deliverance demonstrated. It says, Then the king arose at dawn at the break of the day and went in haste to the lion's den. You can almost imagine the king sitting there at night, just waiting for the sun to creep up over the horizon. Because he knows he has to wait. He has to wait till dawn to break. And so as soon as he begins to see the sun creeping over the horizon, the king jumps up, runs down to the lion's den, and they open it up. And he cries out with a troubled voice, Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? No doubt those who were gathered around thought the king's behavior to be strange. Of course, Daniel wasn't going to be able to answer back. He's been all night in a pit of hungry lions. What is the king desiring to hear? But the king trusted and knew that Daniel's God was a powerful God. And there's a beautiful thing there in that question. Daniel, servant of the living God. Servant of the living God, because God is a living God. He's not a dead God like the gods of Babylon were. He's not an idol sitting on a shelf. He understood and knew that Daniel served a God who was living and ruling and reigning. He says, has your God whom you constantly serve, this God whom you are so faithful to, he's basically asking the question, has this God been faithful to you in response? It says, then Daniel spoke to the king. O king, live forever. Can you imagine the joy and excitement in the king's heart as he heard the voice of Daniel echoing back from that lion's pit? He knew that he had been trapped into a corner to do something that he did not want to do. And no doubt he had been distraught again over and over and over again about this. But now he hears Daniel's voice coming back out from the pit. And Daniel testifies that what the king had said about his God was true. Look at verse 22. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. And they have not harmed me inasmuch as I was found innocent before him. And also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. I remember hearing this story one time and somebody pointing out the fact that, that Darius had spent his entire night in sleeplessness. But Daniel had spent his entire night sleeping in the midst of the lions who were meant to destroy him. Brothers and sisters, think about that. That what, what the enemy means for evil God can give us such peace that we can sleep in the midst of it. Remember what Joseph said to his brothers, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. What does the scripture say? God will cause all things to work for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Here, his enemies had intended this to be the end of Daniel's life. They, they knew that just as soon as he hit the bottom of that pit, the lions would slay him and they would be free of this nuisance Daniel forever. But in the midst of this, God had moved powerfully and kept Daniel safe and secure all night long. 
I can only imagine what it was like to look down into this pit and to see Daniel standing there, this 80-year-old man standing there amongst all these lions, and they're just sitting there. Their mouths are shut. They're not growling. They're not snapping. They're not trying to do anything. It looks like just the, the meekest, mildest of animals are surrounding here Daniel in this pit. But he testifies to the goodness and the faithfulness of God. He says, I was innocent before him, and so God has delivered me. And he says, also to you, king, I have committed no crime. Remember what Psalm 34 tells us, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Psalm 91, for he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Brothers and sisters, we can trust in the goodness and the faithfulness and the sovereignty of God in the midst of great difficulty. We can trust in him and know that no matter what happens, he is there with us. God never leaves us nor forsakes us. People often ask, why is it important for us to memorize Scripture? It's important for us to memorize Scripture because in those moments, we need to be reminded of those facts. Because when, when, when dark moments come, when difficulty comes, our human nature tends to just be overwhelmed by the moment. But we need to be reminded of that fact that God has says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am always with you, declares the Lord. Jesus says, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That means there's not a moment in our lives, beloved, not a single solitary instant that God is not with us, that he's not there right beside us, that he's not there keeping us and holding us and doing everything according to his perfect sovereign will for his glory for our own good. Verse 23, the king pulls Daniel up out of the pit and as he's pulled out, what they find here is that there's no injury on him whatsoever. Notice verse 23. Why? Because he had trusted in his God. I love the fact that over and over in the scriptures, we see these things that when God does something miraculous like this, it serves as a testimony to how good and faithful God is. It was not that just Daniel was so brave as to suffer all night in the midst of the lions. He was able to do this. Why? Because he had trusted in his God. All the glory goes back to God. It's not Daniel here. Didn't, you know what would happen in today's world if this happened? If somebody was thrown into the pit and suffered or and it came out the next day, immediately what would happen is they would go on a whirlwind tour of television interviews, right? And then they would write a book, you know, how to spend all night in the lion's den without being eaten alive. They would write books, they would do conferences, they would go all around the world. I mean, and I'm, I'm being somewhat, uh, somewhat silly this morning, but this is exactly what would happen. Right? Everybody want to know, Daniel, how did you do it? You know, tell us the, the leadership abilities and, and the great faith things that you did in order to be able to do this. And Daniel, if he were the one who were given the interview, would say, oh, well, God did it. It wasn't me. It was just because I trusted in him. He had all the power. He had all the authority. He gets all the glory. Brothers and sisters, it, it's just in these moments that we have to learn that it's not about being, quote unquote, the greatest Christian that's ever lived. It's about being a Christian who trusts in God. It's about being a Christian who trusts in his word and that what he says is true. And if we'll do that, it doesn't matter whether you've been a Christian for six hours or 60 years. God will do the same thing in your life if you will just trust in him. So all of them are astonished that Daniel has no injury no, nothing has happened. Not, not, not even the skin is broken on Daniel's body. Now notice verse 24. It says, The king then gave orders, and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel, and they cast them and their children and their wives into the lion's den. 
And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. The king responded by severely punishing those who had accused Daniel falsely. All those men. So you're talking about 122 individuals along with their wives and their children. And they're all cast into the lion's den. Now, lest a critic might say, oh, well, the reason that Daniel was able to escape the lion's den is because these lions really weren't man-eating lions. They were tame. Scripture tells us here that even before these individuals reached the bottom of the den, the lions devoured them and crushed all their bones. They had desired to see Daniel eaten by the lions, and now they faced the same faith. Judgment came upon them, albeit through an ungodly king, but God still accomplishes his purposes even through the ungodly. God uses wicked leaders to accomplish his judgment sometimes. Because the scripture tells us, and Daniel has told us over and over again, that it's God who causes leaders to rise up and God who causes leaders to fall. In the midst of Babylon, we see this over and over again. God is accomplishing his will, his perfect way, through the lives of evil and wicked men. Just because someone is not a Christian does not mean that God does not, cannot, and will not use them sovereignly for his perfect will. So all of these men, women and children, are cast into the lion's den. The destruction falls upon them because of their disobedience and because of their desire to steal the glory and honor away from God and to make this accusation against Daniel. The final thing I want you to notice here as we close is God's power declared. In verses 25 to 28, we receive the response of Darius. Now, Darius here in this passage is not professing a genuine faith in God. He's not here converting to Christianity. He's not recognizing that God is the only God, but he is recognizing that God is a God who's above all the other gods that he's ever recognized. He doesn't move away from his polytheism to a monotheism, but he does recognize the power and the authority of God, and God uses him to declare things about God that are very, very true, things that are encouraging to us as believers and things that are established by God for his own glory. Look at verse 25. It says, Darius the king wrote to all peoples, nations, and men of every language who were living in the land, may your peace abound. He makes a declaration that's to be read and to be declared to all the people about Daniel's God. Look at verse 26. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. His dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Darius' declaration here makes these wonderfully true declarations about who God is. Number one, he says that all are to fear and tremble. He recognizes that there's something about Daniel's God that's different than any of the other gods of Babylon. And that because his power is so great that everyone should fear and tremble before him. Isn't it sad that there are so many people today who do not recognize this power and authority of God? Brothers and sisters, just the fact that we woke up this morning, just the fact that we have breath in our lungs, that the sun is still shining, that the world is still turning, is enough for us to fear and tremble before the majestic power of God. 
It's enough. Not counting all the other things that God has done for us as Christians, and even all the things that God does for those who are outside of Christ. God's grace falls upon those who are even unjust. His common grace he bestows upon them each and every day is enough that they should recognize and fear him. So Darius makes this declaration, but then I love what it says here in these these coming verses because what we see here is an echoing of the the promise that that God had given to Nebuchadnezzar through the, 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 the dream and the vision of the statue, but also what we're going to see laid out further in the book of Daniel. Right? He is a living God and enduring forever. All the gods of Babylon were dead gods. These were deities and idols that they worshipped. None of them really lived. None of them were going to endure forever. But Darius recognizes that there's something about the God of Daniel that will always be. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed and his dominion will be forever. There's such a beautiful hearkening there to the coming of Christ. And that establishing of that kingdom which will never, ever be destroyed. You remember the, the rock that grew into a mountain? The rock that was cut without hands that crushed the statue which represented all of the other kingdoms of the world, establishing a kingdom that shall not be destroyed. Here, Darius is echoing back to that. God's kingdom will never be destroyed and his dominion will be forever. What an encouragement and hope that is for us as believers even today. Brothers and sisters, we are part of a kingdom which cannot, will not, will never be destroyed and it endures and reigns forever. Full power, full authority has been given unto Jesus Christ and he rules and reigns today and we are citizens of that kingdom. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Darius recognized that there was nothing like this God in Babylon because he had delivered Daniel out of this pit of the lions. Once again, we see God's sovereign power at work in Daniel's life. And it's a testimony Because notice there again at the end of verse 28, Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Daniel's life was a testimony of his trust and faithfulness in God. And Daniel was one of those who saw God's response to him by giving him favor and prosperity in Babylon over and over again. Now, this is not to say, let me be clear this morning, This is not to say that every time that we trust God, that God is always going to deliver us out of the den of lions. There are some times when God does not deliver in such a way. In fact, listen to what James Boyce said. He said, God calls some to win by living. Others are called to win by dying. But in life or death, God rules and we are called to serve him. Sometimes God calls us into a situation like Daniel, and he brings us again on the other side. You think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Sometimes God calls us into the fiery furnace, and he brings us out on the other side. And in the midst of that, God receives all the praise, the honor, and the glory, for he is a good God, and he's done what is right. But brothers and sisters, there are often times that God calls us into difficult situations, and the people don't walk out on the other side. There have been countless Christians through the years who have been persecuted and lost their lives for the sake of the gospel. Were they any less faithful than Daniel was? No. Were they any less blessed by God than Daniel was? No. Are they any less to be celebrated than Daniel was? No. Remember what the book of Hebrews tells us. 
Chapter 11, starting in verse 33, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed act of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mountains of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign enemies to flight. But then just a verse later, it says, and others experienced mockings and scourging, yet also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and ill-treated. Both groups of people are here in what we call the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Because it's not about the end result, but about what takes us to that moment. It's not about whether we live or die, but about whether we trust God along the way about whether our faithfulness in Him and our trust in Him is moved to the point of doubt or determination. Daniel here in his life is encouraging us that in the difficult moments of life and the things that seem impossible, that we will trust more in the Lord. Every one of us in this room are going to face moments like this in our life. Moments where we are put to the point of whether we will trust God and determined to follow him despite what happens or whether we will turn the other way. I encourage you this morning, trust in God's sovereignty. If he has brought you to a moment, he will take you through the moment. There's that saying that you've heard over and over again, if God brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. And that's true. It's not saying that it won't be difficult. It's not saying that it won't be hard. But God has promised that he will not leave us nor forsake us. Daniel came all the way to the end. He trusted in God. And he found God's word to be faithful and true. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your encouragement from your word. Lord, as, as I studied this week, I'm just reminded of this. That God, your, your goodness and your faithfulness to us is so overwhelming. Lord, to understand and recognize that in every moment of life, you are faithful and true. Lord, even in our best moments, we fail. We fail in our commitments to others. We fail in our commitments to you sometimes. But Father, you never fail. You are always faithful, always good, always true to your word. So, Lord, help us to trust in that. That as we face moments and difficulties, Lord, we would not give up, but continue to trust in your goodness and faithfulness. Lord, may we be reminded of this by this story or of the glory that you deserve, of how powerful you are, of the kingdom that you have established. Father, we ask that you would help us. Lord, we are weak, we are frail. Oftentimes, the weight of this life tends to push us in, in ways, Lord, that we, we, we feel like we're at the end of our own understanding. And we recognize, Lord, that 
in those moments and even before we arrive there. Lord, that we need to put more hope and trust in you. So Lord, help that to be our mindset and our motivation. Lord, help us to establish that in our hearts as Daniel did. That in the face of what was coming, Daniel didn't have to fear and fret because his pattern of trust in you was already established. And he responded in the way that the only way that he knew to respond, which was praying. To just continue to do and to live his Christian life, to live his life of love for you, to just do what he had always done. So, Father, help us, Lord, that we would remain faithful and just do what you've called us to do, to trust and know that you are sovereign, that you will accomplish your will and purposes in our lives. And we ask all this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.